Amen. Thanks, Brandon and Lockwoods. Good morning, church. How you doing? Good. I can hear. Thank you. We can have a conversation this morning. I could hear each individual voice when you were singing. I don't know if that scares you, but I could. My name is Jeff Skipper. Good to be with y'all <clears throat> this morning. Good to be back together. It's been a, a rough couple weeks. And now, of course, we have the time change on top of everything else. And you guys made it. Um, so uh, good to be with you. Uh, the Apostle Paul told young Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. And yesterday afternoon, I was totally out of season, and I got a phone call that Jonathan wasn't feeling well, and could I hop in and preach this morning? So uh, you've been flexible. We're all flexible uh, this morning. As uh, I will be preaching this morning, please pray for him. I don't really know, you know completely his status or, or whatever, uh, but obviously <clears throat> the sickness has just been sweeping through everybody. Pray for Drew and others. Uh, we were planning to continue our Hebrews series, um, but I'm the third string quarterback this morning. So I'm going to call an audible, and we're going to go a different direction for this, this just this morning, and we'll hopefully get back on track next week. Okay? So in the little bit of time uh, yesterday evening, I had to kind of think about, <clears throat> you know, what to talk about this morning, reflecting on what a crazy year it's been, crazy few weeks it's been. I thought, what better text to, to settle our hearts uh, I don't know where you're at, but there's a good chance it's on some sort of spectrum with anxiety or, I don't know, frantic or anxious or weary, maybe. Um, what better text to settle our hearts and just reorient our perspective than to just spend a few minutes in Psalm 23? Uh, I, I know I could use that. And so uh, you probably know it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Uh, it's a passage that I knew was in the, that I knew the passage before I ever knew it was in the Bible thanks to the rapper Coolio in his song, Gangster's Paradise, that I used to rap on the middle school bus when he said, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Y'all don't get it. I'm not telling you to go look it up. I'm just telling you that's where I learned it. And then later I learned, oh, King David wrote those words like 3,000 years ago. So there you go. Uh, but I would like to read it, um, not the song, but the actual text from Psalm 23 this morning. And I'm gonna read the whole chapter. You, you may know it well. Um, and so just kind of let this settle into your hearts this morning, okay? <clears throat> so, yeah, and also ignore everything in your worship folder as far as outline and, and, and so on. But the correct text is on the screen this morning, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. That alone preaches. We could probably leave, and you've been ministered to this morning just by the reading of that text and and you know it's you even if you're not a Christian you didn't grow up in church you probably heard some familiar lines in there because it's one of the most beloved popular passages in all of the Bible there's there's so many promises and, and deep comfort uh, in this passage you often hear it read at at funerals um, it's a text that many people run to when times are hard or or just scary and the reason is it's because it's one extended argument full of reasons as to why we can trust the Lord at all times. It's like David is at pains to just layer, uh, you know, reason on top of reason 
why we can trust God at all times. And because it is so packed, uh, we're just going to meditate on verse 1 this morning. We're just going to settle in on verse 1, which sets the tone for the rest of the, the entire text. Um, because it tells us about God's relationship to us and his care and his provision for us. <clears throat> and it's just the truth we need uh, to have any peace uh, at all times. And so uh, I want to look at three points, and it's just the verse itself. Okay, the Lord is my, the first point. Secondly, good shepherd. And finally, I shall not want. And we'll look at what uh, this means for us this morning. Okay, so let's look at this first phrase, just word by word, because it's just so rich with meaning. And uh, the psalmist starts by just saying, the Lord. And that's a lot just right there. It's funny to me as I was meditating on this, just how that preaches right there. If I just said the Lord, I'm sure a lot comes to mind. Uh, but he starts his prayer by looking up. And that's significant because I know I start my prayers by like just throwing up whatever's like right on my mind. Usually it's all the stuff I'm scared of or I'm going through or I'm frustrated about or anxious about. And yet, and he had plenty of that. If you look down in Psalm 23, it says he's going through the valley of the shadow of death and he's surrounded by enemies on it. I mean, he had, a, he had a lot of issues he could bring before the Lord. And yet, he, he starts with a greater reality. Like, he, he knows there's a greater truth that he needs to live out of before he gets to those things. Because if he does that, if he starts with the Lord, it'll change how he views and, and lives through those things. Right? And, I, and that's a lot of application, like right out of the gate. That if, if a key principle, that if we're going to live well uh, in a broken world and, and go through suffering with any peace or hope or comfort, we have to live from the top down rather than the bottom up. And, and we talk about that a lot here. Uh, if this is your first time or you haven't been here much, you'll hear that a lot. And uh, I believe Luther... Martin Luther was asked, why do you preach the same thing every week? And he said, because you forget it every week. That's how I feel about this particular truth right here, um, <clears throat> because I forget it every week. Right? If we, if we start with our circumstances, like suffering, what's going on in our lives, if you just look around, just purely in your life and circumstantially, it, you might reasonably conclude, well, God must be angry with me. You probably wouldn't be that far off if you take just what's going on in your life. Or maybe, well, um, I'm going to deduce that God must not be all good and he must not be all powerful if this is going on. Or maybe you would think something like, I, I, I'm doing something wrong, which is like a reverse form of pride where you're still viewing yourself as the sinner as if there could be no other reason why things are happening the way they're happening other than we've done something wrong, right? Like, there's all these wrong conclusions we could come to if we start from the bottom and work our way up, but the psalmist doesn't do that. He doesn't start with I, me, what's going on in my life, uh, you know, by looking at himself or what's hard and uncertain. Like he doesn't talk about his bank account, uh, you know, the status of it, his job struggles, who won the local Senate race or whatever, fears about the future, how hard parenting is, and, and then draw conclusions about God. Instead, he starts with what is certain. And so he essentially says, before I get to any of that, let me start with what I know is true, the Lord. Let me just, let me just settle right there for just a minute. Let me start with that. And that's where, where peace begins. That's how Jesus even taught us to pray, right? I mean, the first, what did he say? Our Father, who art in heaven, started with that. If you do community Bible reading, we pray the Acts method, right? And the first thing we pray is, adoration, looking up, acknowledging what is true, right? Even in our service, if you notice Brandon earlier, he said, we're going to start with a prayer of 
adoration. There's a story, there's a reason we start with who God is and what is true, and then we interpret our circumstances in light of him and his love and his promises, and yet I'm so guilty of all too often starting with what I can see. And when I do that, let me tell you, I'm frantic, I'm anxious, I'm controlling, I'm angry, and yet faith, our theme for the year, our theme through this Hebrews 11 series, faith starts with the Lord. Because it starts with his character, it tells us he's greater than our circumstances, and the Lord there is a name, not a title. Okay, so if this is your first time reading that, maybe in the Old Testament you read, you're like, why is Lord in all caps sometimes? Well, that's because in Hebrew, it's his actual name. It's, it's not a title, it's Yahweh. Like the psalmist isn't using like <clears throat> a vague term for a higher being. And Yahweh means I am who I am, right? So if, if we're looking to a vague blurry notion of God, that's not helpful. We need to know specifics about God if it's going to bring us any comfort. And we need a God who defines himself. Right? Like we, if we define God by what we think he's like, then we're creating a God of our own imagination. We're actually making God in our own image, and yet the Bible says we're made in his own image. We're reversing it. And if we address God and, you know, think of a God and and what we think he's like, then naturally our perception of God is going to change based on what we're going through and how we feel. And yet Yahweh doesn't change. And we don't have to guess what he's like. He reveals himself. In Exodus 34, he passed before Moses and he said, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping Steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? So this, this is the God the psalmist is speaking to, a God full of mercy, grace, patience, love, faithfulness, a God of justice, a creator, a God who had done wonders, and so one who was therefore worthy of being uh, sought out and relied upon and praised. Do you start with the Lord or is he a last resort? Do we start with him? Does does what we know about him determine how we view our circumstances and live through those, or or is it the other way around? The Lord. And then he says, the Lord is. And and that may seem insignificant. That might seem like a a little, little filler word, but I would argue that that's a pretty important word because he doesn't say the Lord might be. And there's a big difference between those two. Like he, he has a deep assurance uh, of whatever he's about to say. He's not wishing, he's not uncertain about who God is and where he stands with him. Whatever he's about to say, he's pretty confident in. The Lord is. And that's, that's a great thing about Christianity. One of the, the greatest things is the deep comfort and assurance it gives. A settledness, right? A rootedness of hope, even in death. Which is one huge difference between Christianity and in Islam, I remember in seminary, we had a local imam uh, from a mosque come in and speak to our class, uh, and it was, it was great, and we got to do a Q&A with him, and I remember someone in class asking, is there like assurance with Islam, like do you know where you stand with Allah, and, and so on, and, and the imam said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like, in other words, he basically said, the jury's always out. You can never be too sure. You can never get too comfortable. And, you know, if, if that's the case, right, if we, if we have to relate to God only on maybes, we'll never be able to, to lie down in green pastures. Our souls will never take a deep breath and we'll never have rest. 
We'll never find peace. Right, but the good news is this God has revealed himself. We can know who he is, what he's like, the, the status of our relationship with him. And the psalmist is digging into that. And so he says, the Lord is my. And that's important too. Because my is a very intimate term. Right? This, this isn't like some distant contractual arrangement with the big man upstairs that you just kind of vaguely refer to. This is like a deeply personal relationship where each is known to the other. Charles Spurgeon said about this, he, he said, He does not say the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large and leadeth forth the multitude as his flock. But he says, The Lord is my shepherd. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. Can you say that? Do you know the Lord as, as your shepherd? You say he's my God, he's my shepherd, or, or is he just like the God of your grandparents? Or like, like how many degrees of separation is there between you and, and this God? And this also implies that not only that we can know God, but that he knows us, which is kind of scary at first if you really know the depths of your own heart. But uh, if you know Jesus, this is a great comfort. I remember my kids would, would come home sometimes singing the old hymn, I am Jesus' little lamb. Maybe you remember that one. Uh, and one line in there says, uh, he, he loves me every day the same, even calls me by my name. And I remember how much that spoke to me. Because that's a biblical truth, that God knows you intimately. God knows your name. He knows your specific story. He knows your wounds that no one else knows. Even the ones you don't know, he knows. He knows your future. He knows everything about us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. So the psalmist is coming to the only one who knows him to the very bottom, and therefore that's the, he's the only one who can meet him in that place. And, and we run to so many others who try to, we, we want them to meet us in that place. We want them to, they, but they can't know our hearts, and we don't even know our hearts. But the Lord knows our hearts. Uh, the scripture says God knows uh, words before they ever reach our tongues and he can discern our thoughts from afar. He knows us more intimately than anyone. And so just out of the gate, we learn the psalmist starts by looking up to the Lord before down at his circumstances. And, he, and when he does that, he calls to mind God's character. Who is Yahweh? What is he like? And that led him to approach God in a confident, personal way. The Lord is my. But that kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger, right? Because we're yet to know the nature of their relationship. Whatever comes next is pretty important. The Lord is your what? I mean, that's going to tell a lot. And we kind of get a surprising picture because he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Right now, if, you're, if you grew up in church and you've heard these themes a lot, maybe you've grown numb to how shocking that really is. I would encourage you to try to like, read it as if this is the first time you've ever read this. And that would probably throw you off, if so, because I would, I would expect David to say something like, the Lord is my king. If he did, I'd go, all right, I get that. Like, the Lord is my savior, my rescuer, my deliverer. My Lord is my shepherd, eh, right? Kind of strange. But David had been both a king and a shepherd. So, so he knew the significance of framing his relationship to God in this way. He could have said king, but he specifically refers to himself as or refers to him as a shepherd. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, the obvious thing, right? You don't got to go to seminary for this, ready? It implies that we're like sheep. Y'all could have figured that one out, right? Which may not sound like much because at first you're like, well, I mean, they seem pretty cute and cuddly. It doesn't seem like the worst situation. 
But it's very telling, right? Because sheep are the most weak, helpless animals. They can't defend themselves. They need loads of attention. Uh, We are buying a dog again in the Skipper family. We're 0 for 2 on dogs. For some reason, we're doing it again. I I, I view this as potential strike three. So we're getting a dog. We don't get him for a couple weeks. So we went to uh, PetSmart yesterday to get all of his stuff, like bowls and leashes and all that. And as we were walking in, I made one of my classic uh, dad jokes, and I said, guys, this is Pet Smart, but down the road, there's another store called Pet Dumb, where if your pet's dumb, you take it there. And they reacted pretty much like you did, right? Like, just, ro- come on, guys. You know, they just rolled their eyes. I realized they're getting a little too old. Like, okay, dad, thank you. You go ahead and save that, right? Um, <clears throat> and if that was true, the sheep would go to Pet Dumb, all right? Now, I'm done. Thanks for entertaining me on that. They're just not smart animals, right? Like, sheep... They wander up to cliffs to eat, and then they get stuck up there. Or they fall down to their deaths off the cliff, right? Or they fall down in snow, and they get buried in the snow, and they can't get off their own backs. And so the shepherd often has to knock them down and tie them up and carry them home, right? And if you're a parent, you know what that's like. I do that to my boys all the time. So, you know, a a dog, for the most part, they just need pointers to find their way home. A lot of dogs, right? They're just generally kind of you can kind of work with them a little bit, but not a sheep. A sheep need it all. And so this is a spiritual insult to us. Thank you, David. You're really putting it in perspective. This is what the prophet Isaiah says, right? He says, we all like what? Sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And I think we know that to be true. Like our conscience tells us that. Even if you're not a Christian, you might be able to, to agree with that, we, we, each, we all like sheep have gone astray. Like even if you don't measure yourself up against God's standard, just think of your own moral standard that you hold for other people. Like have you lived up to even your own standard, much less any, you know, divine standard? If we're honest, I, I, would, I think we would say no. We've gone astray. In other words, to use a Bible where we've sinned, right? And that's what the text is implying here, that we've rebelliously left the Lord and his good paths of righteousness because we thought the grass was greener on the other side. And yet, we've found ourselves wandering around, starving, vulnerable, stuck in thorns, sick, wandering around in fear without any sense of security or comfort, just going in circles and seeking out different sources to satisfy us. And yet, they leave us dry every time. And the entire Bible is screaming, you need a shepherd. All the way through, like after Genesis 3, Right, the fall, where Adam and Eve sent, everything from there is like, you need a shepherd. Over and over again. And yet our prideful hearts time and time again insist, no, I got this. It's like wreckage all around us. I think I got this. I'm doing great. We're hard-headed, right? Like that's the irrationality of sin is that we refuse to go to the shepherd who can give us everything we need. And we all long for this. Again, even if you're not a Christian, you could probably agree with, you know, we long for someone who will provide for us, who will be there for us, who will protect us, who will guide us, who will watch over and care for us, both in life and in death. Like, who doesn't want that? That's at the root, like at at the bottom of what we're all longing for. And that's why this is such a comforting shepherd, because David is saying, there is such a shepherd. You don't have to do it yourself, and you don't have to keep going to all of the abusive shepherds who wear you out. There's a good 
shepherd because the Lord isn't only great as Yahweh. When I think of Yahweh, like the Lord, all caps, I think transcendent, in control, creator, big, but he's not just the Lord as Yahweh. He's near as a shepherd. He's, he's all powerful, but he's also relational and present. And we see that most explicitly in Jesus who said in John 10, when he's making all of these, I am statements, remember Yahweh means I am who I am. Well, Jesus keeps saying, I am, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. And then in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. So what's he saying? Well, first we said, I am like all of the Jewish like heads are ringing, like, oh, that's Yahweh, right? This is a statement of divinity. He's saying, I'm not just, you know, a good guy, a moral teacher. I am God. I forgive sins. I raise the dead. I save and I judge. I am Yahweh. But he's also saying, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one David was talking about 900 years ago. That's me. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, hey, I am the good shepherd. And we read, and if you're reading community Bible reading uh, with us, and I would encourage you, uh, if you're not, we read two chapters a day. It's on the app, right? All of those things. We read Isaiah 40 this week. We've been reading some great chapters in Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied of one to come in chapter 40. And he said this. He said, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He's, the one, he's coming. This is what he'll do. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Like, I've never been on a farm in my life, and that, like, resonates with me. I'm like, ooh, I want that. Yes. And Jesus is saying, I'm the true shepherd king that David, the shepherd king, spoke of all those years ago in Psalm 23. I'm the great shepherd who left my home in heaven and put myself in the way of danger to rescue my lost lambs and gather them in my arms and take them home. He's our shepherd, but he's not only a shepherd, he's our good shepherd, and and, and that's seen in how far he went, right? Like that's the measure, how far will he go? That's how we determine how much of ourselves we'll entrust to somebody else. Like what will you do for me? How far will you go? And he says, well, I'm the good shepherd and what? And I lay down my life for the sheep. And in, in other words, there's no limit to which I will go. The price of sin is what it costs the shepherd to bring us home. And Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. That's the cost. And the mysterious good news of the gospel is that the shepherd Lord who made all things, right? The shepherd king willingly and humbly became a helpless lamb and was slaughtered for our sins. What did John the Baptist say? Right when Jesus showed up at the beginning of his ministry, here comes Jesus walking down the road. John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God. Everyone's minds would have shot off on what that means with all of the Old Testament illusions of the one who would come. But this shepherd king would become a lamb and be slaughtered so that we might be forgiven and cleansed and healed and fed and brought back to God. Jesus is the one who makes it possible. You say, how, can I, how do you approach God in such a personal way, in such a confident way, saying things like he is this and he is my shepherd? Well, through Jesus. That's why the psalmist can approach God in that Way We sing sometimes, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Listen, we're all looking to someone, something as our shepherd for provision, guidance, comfort, protection, all of those things. Just think about that for a minute. And Jesus is the good shepherd who's proven his ability, like his power. He's proven his, his heart for us, his goodness, 
He's proven his posture towards us, how for us he is, and the fact that he willingly came and died for us. He, he's rose again. He's alive. He longs to be there for us. He's not only able, he's willing and ready to shepherd us. And so why would we not go to him? Why, why would we choose to continuously, aimlessly roam and starve and live in fear? And who else better qualifies to be your shepherd? What other shepherd died for you, right? He's the only good shepherd who stops at nothing for his sheep. And so the, then the question becomes, okay, so what does that mean for me? Like, what does that practically look like in my life if, I, if I'm there? Well, listen, I love the logic of the psalmist. There's a lot here in verse 1. The logic of the psalmist goes like this. He says, since the Lord is my shepherd, in other words, in light of everything we just talked about, the fact that he is the Lord, he's Yahweh, we know his character, he is, right, there's assurance with him, he's for us, he's the good shepherd, Because the Lord is my shepherd, then the only thing to reasonably conclude from that is that then I shall not lack. Since the Lord is my shepherd, since he is that, then it follows. The obvious logical dominoes is that I should live in such a way that says, I shall not want. That's the only, if you are rational, if you have a brain, right? Like (laughs) it's, it's clicking. That's the only thing to conclude at this point in light of everything we've said about who God is and how he cares about us and what he's done for us in Jesus. Now, the opposite of this verse is, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. Which sounds like an orphan. But the psalmist is speaking like a child. Lord is my shepherd. I, have, I, I, I shall not want. Think about children. There's a few kids in here this morning. Yeah, you all just looked up. Oh, that's all I got to do. Did you stay up last night wondering if your mommy and daddy were going to make you breakfast? Did you wake them up at 2 a.m. and say, I'm stressed out, I can't sleep, are you going to make breakfast? Are we going to have breakfast in the morning? Of course not, right? Like, my kids have never done that because there's no if. There's no, it's just, it's just a matter of what and when. They demand it. They walk in like, what are we having? Right? Like, because that's the confidence of a child. Because they know their parents. They trust their parents. And that's the confidence of a child of God, right? The the sheep aren't out there wringing their hands, wondering if their shepherd's going to be there for them. They know. They know. That word want in some places is translated as lack. So, you know, he's saying, I shall not lack because I know my shepherd's heart. I know my shepherd's ability. So, therefore, I don't have to enter life from a place of insecurity or fear. And that's the thing. Listen, if you don't have that depth of assurance then think about what that does. Your your will gets activated in unhealthy ways because nobody's looking out for you. You're an orphan, so you're demanding, you're pushy, there's no guarantees in life, you're manipulative, you're hard on other people, you try to make other people be a shepherd for you because you don't have a shepherd. You, You try to make them do things that only he can. But if you live from a place of confidence and the fact that you have a good shepherd, Paul said, hey, that's the secret to flourishing and having peace in all circumstances. Knowing this, knowing God's commitment to you in Jesus, knowing his promises to you, getting those things down on the concrete of your life and what that means for you. And notice, he doesn't say, I do not want, but he says, I shall not want. Right? This is like a future perspective. He's looking ahead. He's saying, I shall not. Whatever comes, my shepherd's going to take care of me. 
right? Whatever happens with COVID, whatever happens in 2021, whatever the doctor finds, uh, you know, when age, old age comes, like whatever, anything else, I shall not lack because I have a good shepherd. Can you say that? We could think of a thousand ways in which this applies to our lives, but I'm just going to leave us with five uh, as we go, okay? Because Jesus is our good shepherd, we can say, first of all, I shall not lack provision. And Jesus taught about that in a sermon on the mountain. He said, why are, you so, why are you so worried? If I feed the birds in the air and I clothe the flowers in the field, do you really think I'm going to leave you hanging? Right? We can say, I won't be deceived into the lie that more and more stuff is going to satisfy me this year or that more and more money will satisfy me or that my stimulus check will, which, which isn't bad. I mean, I'm waiting on mine to drop. But I'm just saying, you know, Nobody thought that was funny, but I did. I just thought of that in the moment. I didn't have that written down. Uh, you know, that won't satisfy me. I'm not going to worry about the future. I'm not going to worry about what might happen. I'll cross that bridge when I get there, but I can say this. I do know that when I do get there, my good shepherd will be with me, and he will provide for me just like he always has. He's brought me this far, and he will lead me home. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I shall not lack Provision, but on top of that, I shall not lack approval. And the gospel gives us the power to say that. It gives us the power to say, I, I won't live my life hustling for the approval of others. The apostle Paul said both. He said, you know what? I try to please everybody in every way I can, and yet I'm not a people pleaser. Right? Because I fear God. I don't fear man. And so I shall not lack approval means I won't live with a mask on trying to impress and, and find peace and whether other people smile or frown over me and letting that dictate my inner peace and stability because you know what? I don't lack approval because in Jesus, I have God's approval. I have his yes over me. My shepherd sings over me by grace and that's all I need. And guess what? When I don't need other people, then I'm finally free to actually love other people. So you, it serves you both ways. I shall not lack Provision, I shall not lack approval, but I also, I shall not lack in hard circumstances or suffering, which, by the way, are coming, inevitably are coming. And maybe you're already there. But we can say, I'll trust the shepherd with where he has me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. I'll trust his paths. And in light of that, I'm not going to try to take control. He sees every detail of the road and everything that's up ahead. And newsflash, I actually don't believe it or not. I don't see how it, all of everything that's up ahead, but he does. My shepherd does because he's sovereign over all. He's not forgotten me. He's not scrambling to draw up plan B for my life. And so even if things are broken and hard, I know he's working for my good and his glory, even if I don't understand it all. Right? Like that confidence in our good shepherd leads us. Instead of when life gets hard and we say, well, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? We can say, it makes us curious and say, what is God doing? What is he doing in my life? Where is he leading me? I shall not lack provision. I shall not lack approval. I won't lack when, when hard times come. Next, I shall not lack guidance because he's given me his Holy Spirit, his word. He's given me his people. And we're not alone. And finally, as Patrick referred to earlier, I shall not lack a bright, bright future in a heavenly home. Nothing. That's where... That's where the psalmist lands his plane at the end of, of this chapter is that nothing that comes my way, even death, can separate me from my good shepherd.
goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Charles Spurgeon called God the hound of heaven. He said, he's, he's, grace and mercy are nipping at my heels, chasing me right in through the doggy door of heaven. Amen. I don't think he said doggy door, but that's the idea. Do you have that confidence? Do you know his love for you? Do you need that reminder, right, that you have a good shepherd and you shall not lack? How's Jesus better than whatever you're wanting? How does he satisfy in a more true way? Are you worried? Are you anxious about the future? This psalm, David says, go to, go to Jesus, the good shepherd. He has all we need. Are you feeling condemned? Go to the shepherd. He defends us from our sins and from our enemies, and he clothes us in righteousness. Are you thirsty and hungry for hope? David says, go to the good shepherd who feeds us. He has a table spread out. The light's on. He says, come sit down and eat. Are you weary? He says, go to the one who says, come to me, and I will give you rest give you rest for your souls, the real deep rest you need, make you lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters. Does that resonate with you? Uh, let's go to the Lord this morning in prayer. Will you join me? Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this chapter that has resonated with, I would say, millions of hearts for centuries, for thousands of years, God. Uh, we need this reminder that you are our good shepherd. And it's a reminder that, that you're sovereign. This isn't what we prepared to look at this week, and yet this is what you, the place you brought us to. So Lord, help us to remember that you are with us and that you love us, where we are anxiously holding on to the reins in our own lives. Help us to give those to you and to trust you that you're faithful. Fix our eyes on Jesus and remind us of these truths, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that we're in the middle of a story and we can't see it all, but you can, and we can trust you. So Holy Spirit, come and give us peace this morning. Lead us to you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, what a great song to end on. Um, the reason we can know he will be with us through the fire and the flood is because the mystery of the incarnation and the gospel story is that he's, he's went through the fire and the flood, Right? So he won't flee. Jesus says in John 10, hey, when times get hard, a hired hand, he'll bail on the sheep, but not the good shepherd. Uh, he won't leave us or forsake us. And so uh, if your faith is in him, leave with that peace in your heart that he is not only guiding us, but he's with us. And receive this benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in God's peace.